when my car broke down, I'm now alone at 19 years old with my thoughts, thinking about the daughter that I just lost. And of course, blaming myself, justifying the reason that I'm here must be penance for losing my daughter. So of course, that's why I'm here. And I don't have any purpose. So that was the trauma that kind of led me that direction. Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. I could not be more delighted to have a very special guest in studio, somebody who's chatting to me from the other side of the world. She is a business performance coach and expert. Donna St. Louis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So I'm going to dive in with the first question and we're just going to get straight into purpose. So yours is a remarkable journey and there are many highs and many lows and we're going to get into those. But can you just tell me the moment in your life when you figured out that what you do forms part of your purpose or gives you meaning in your life? When was that? See, now you're making a huge assumption that I have it totally figured out. I do think our purpose changes over our our lifetime. But I will say, as of late, my purpose was figured out when I kind of look back at what I had done previously and the challenges that I had gone through. And I was 100% solidified in the fact that instead of chasing the dollar, I would let it chase me. So purpose wasn't money. Purpose then became people. And so it was that moment when I really figured that out. Right. And that took a while to get to that point, right? Yes. (laughs) Now I have a shortcut. Now I have a shortcut that I can share with people. However, it took a long time to get there and go, oh, Oh, that's that's it. it. So (laughs) what we are going to do, I'm going to ask you for that shortcut towards the end of the show. So what I normally do, two final questions. One is, can you help us with some shortcuts and some tips? Number two, we're going to ask about your legacy. So that's the cool stuff we're going to deal with at the end. But can you bring us all the way back to the beginning again. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your story, parents, schooling, because I know that that forms an integral part of your journey. Right. So I was born definitely in the lower, 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 lower income class. We literally just didn't necessarily always have meals. So very low income class and kind of made it through. It's just me and my mom. So I don't have any siblings. I don't my dad wasn't around, so it was just always me and my mom. Things were tough here in the United States. So we lived in the ghettos, basically, and grew up that way. My mom ended up getting you know, a better job. She started working for the government, and things got a little bit better. But by that time, I was already 17, 18, 19. And when I was 19 years old, because of just tragedies and all the things that had happened in my life, I decided it was time for me to leave and go out on my own. 
and I ended up becoming homeless. So I was homeless for about three to four months. How did that work out for you? <laughs> the homeless part sucked. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> it was not good. But I'll tell you right now, I could go on naked and afraid and rock it because, <laughs> which is a show on television. <laughs> Just saying, I can survive. I'm definitely someone who could survive. But from a mindset perspective, when you're homeless, if you want to talk about the depths of not having purpose. You feel no purpose at all and truly wonder about your existence. And maybe you just need a do-over. Quite tough, I would imagine. Now you've moved away from home. You've got into your car. Or if you've gone, you're a teenager, right? I've, I'm done with this. I'm going out into the big bad world. I mean, how many teenagers dream of that moment? And then it's not so great. And can I please have a do-over? And can I not go back home again? But I'm pretty sure you don't right. want to go back home because then you're going back home with your tail between your legs or... Well, I couldn't go back home because my car had broken down and my mom wasn't going to send the helicopter in to pick me up. And there weren't cell phones at the time. And I had very, very, very little money. And I was several, probably 10, 20, 30 miles away from any real existence of like a significant number of people. At least it felt that way. I can tell you the closest thing that was to me was I was parked in the woods. There was a lake and then across that lake was a YMCA. That was the closest thing to like real existence. And the lake was quite wide, but I knew that there was a YMC over there. So what did you do? Well, I had gotten to the point where I had run out of food. Begging for money and, and trying to work for money just wasn't working because there was, again, there was very few people in the area. And if I was smarter, I would have gotten stuff to wash cars and I would have washed cars at the YMCA until they would have kicked me off the property. You know, I would have done something like that, but I wasn't thinking that way. And I had gotten to the point where I knew that I was going to die and it was either going to be at my hands or it was just going to be natural causes. I was going to starve to death or whatever it was going to be, but I knew I was going to die. My biggest concern <laughs> was that I did not want my mom, when they found my body, I didn't want it to be dirty. And I know of all the things, like your mom is like, you, you make sure you have clean underwear if you get in a car accident, right? I was really I, I, I've definitely heard about the clean underwear, but, but not, not the real fingernails. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was like the whole thing. So I, I don't know, maybe it's clean underwear for guys, but, you know, girls got to do the whole thing, like hair, makeup, all of it. So, <laughs> so I really did want to be clean. And I went to the Y and there was a gentleman that worked there and it was like first thing in the morning, like maybe five o'clock in the morning. The sun was not even close to coming up. And I asked him if I could, in exchange for washing windows, because he always yelled about washing windows. I could hear him yelling at the windows in the morning. He hated doing it. So I asked him if I could wash the windows in exchange for taking a shower. That was like my whole goal. And we had this whole conversation in regards to how I was going to be alive in the next two weeks and for me, it was just like a matter of fact. I'm not going to be alive in the next two weeks. I have nothing to offer this planet. I'm just a parasite. I'm just consuming everything. I just don't want my mom, when they find my body, I just don't want it to be dirty. And so my goal is just to wash, just to take a bath. And he let me, which was nice of him. And he also said, while I was in the shower, I did wait. You know, if you're going to die, you shouldn't drink a whole lot of water. I drank like as much water as possible, took a shower and... He said, if you clean the equipment, I'll let you have a cereal bar. It's a good, good deal. And I was like, oh, my God, a meal. Yeah. Right. And so I cleaned all the equipment for this cereal bar. And that was kind of a big deal to me. But here's the thing. When we talk about purpose, 
that changed the game for me. He said, as I was leaving, four words that changed everything. I'll see you tomorrow. So. I had something to look forward yeah. to. So that, that, I mean. For the first time. That's a lot of desperation and a lot of very dark feelings of self and self selflessness. And to be told that to be given the sort of see you tomorrow. Huge. Right. And that's the thing. It's it's one of those things where people are like, you know, when you're at rock bottom, you know, the only place to go is up. What people don't realize is that when you are at rock bottom, everything around you looks dark. It's almost like being in the ocean, being hundreds and hundreds of meters down in the ocean. And they're like, go up. If you are in the ocean at night, you don't know which way is up. There is no light. You have no idea what direction to go. So people are like, when you're at rock bottom, just go up. You don't know where up is. And when someone says something like, see you tomorrow, it's like a pin light that suddenly came through the darkness that you're like, what? That way, you know? And when he said, see you tomorrow, it was that pin light of, and then he gave me a reason. So here's the other thing behind purpose. It wasn't enough that he said, see you tomorrow. Because people say that all the time, right? See you tomorrow, how you doing? They don't really care. But then he said, listen, I have arthritis and you already know I hate washing these windows. You can't really expect me to do this again tomorrow when you can come here and do it for a shower. The shower didn't cost me anything. I don't have to wash the windows. It's a win-win for me. So I'll see you tomorrow. So he gave me a business case, quote unquote, on why this was important. So it wasn't just charity. It was purpose. That makes sense. And I like that analogy about the being under the ocean at nighttime, not knowing. And it is such a flippant thing that people say is, you know, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one way up. And I, I disagree. There have been times in my life when I've hit rock bottom and rock bottom is rock bottom. And you actually did, you know, I, I've also been at rock bottom. and th- Start chiseling away at yeah, rocks. <laughs> I've been at rock bottom when it's got worse than rock bottom. You know, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, you know, how on earth am I going to get just through this day, let alone anything else? Uh, and then you get hit again. If we can just go back, when you say that, that if you've been smarter, you're a smart human being and you've always been a smart human being. Oh. And part of my question is, as a, a smart human being, how does one get to the point where it just doesn't seem to be a way out of where you are, a predicament, climbing into a car and driving off um, as a smart human being? Um, how did you get there? So I had a daughter and my daughter had passed away when she was five months old. And all the well-meaning people in my life were saying things like, well, at least. It was almost like, well, at least you don't have to deal with that. Well, you're too young to have a kid. Well, you know, it was almost like they were giving me these good riddance statements at a time where I felt like somebody had pulled my heart out of my body. She was my purpose. My daughter, Tia, was my purpose. And then all of a sudden that purpose was gone. And now I have all these people saying to me, well, good riddance that that's gone. And I'm going, no, (laughs) it's not good riddance. And so I needed to get away from these very well-meaning people. And they were, and I do mean that they really were well-meaning because they were saying, now you have an opportunity to take your life and do whatever you want with it. I wanted my daughter back. That's what I wanted. And I wasn't going to have that. 
my goal was actually to go and see the Statue of Liberty in New York. I was literally leaving Florida, South Florida, to drive north 24 hours to see the Statue of Liberty. That was that was my goal. When my car broke down and I wasn't going to reach that goal, I'm now alone at 19 years old with my thoughts, thinking about the daughter that I just lost. And of course, any parent would tell you when they lose a child, I don't care how old they are. I don't care if they, the parent feels like that's their fault. That is something they did. So now I'm alone with my thoughts, blaming myself for the loss of my child and in this situation and justifying the reason that I'm here must be for penance for losing my daughter. Right. And so of course that's why I'm here. Right. And I don't have any purpose. So that was the trauma that kind of led me that direction. Oh, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. Uh, I can't even imagine what it feels like to lose uh, a child. Um, I can't. Um, I can just imagine it's the kind of thing that never, ever leaves you. You just get used to the feelings, I would imagine. Right. And it's something that people should never have yeah. to imagine. But you'll hear a lot of parents that they will feel like they've lost their purpose when they've lost their children. It's the same reason we go through empty nest syndrome, because all of a sudden our purpose is lost because we put all of our purpose in our children. Right. And so now take that. If we have a 40 and 50 something year olds, I can't do it. Take it and put it on a teenager <laughs> and put them in a woods by themselves. Purpose is completely gone at that point. Right. And so while I say if I would have been smarter, what I really should say is if I was thinking with my mind and not with my heart, I would have done different things. Yeah. But I did. And I think that's also part of that, that journey is very hard. I always say that our emotions, uh, we've got mm. a thinking brain and we've got a feeling brain. And most of us think if we could just control the thinking brain more, we wouldn't do the things that seem to trip us up on the feeling brain side. Right. But it doesn't work that way, does it? The feeling brain is in charge. It does Correct. not work that way. Uh, and the feeling brain. Yes. The feeling brain makes the decisions. The thinking brain justifies them. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. Wow. So that's a very, very deep, dark place. And here's this person who said to you, come back and clean mm -hmm. windows. Right. Exactly. So I'm at the... In my life, the darkest of dark places where I am hundreds of meters down in the ocean, I do not know which way is out. Because here's the thing, when we start thinking about finding our purpose, and even if we're thinking about which way is out, that out always looks the same. That out looks like what we had, right? Out always looks like what we had. If I could only get my house back, if I could only get my job back, if I could only get my life back, if I could only get my child back. That's what our out always looks like. Our out never looks at the thing that's going to be new. It's always how do I reclaim the things that I've lost, right? 
And so when we look for purpose, we look at that. I think it's very true right now in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. Everybody's saying, when are we going to have normal back? We can just go back to normal. Back. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. So when you're in that deepest, darkest place, your whole thought process is to reclaim that which you've lost. Right? When... Mm. That's, that's a good way to say it. Right. And so someone is literally giving me something new that I hadn't have thought of. Come and wash windows so you can drink water and you can have a cereal bar every day. And you can take a bath, right? Three things. Take a bath, wash windows, cereal bar, and water. That was my new thing to have. And my purpose was to keep this guy from having to deal with his arthritis. <laughs> Sure, which is something outside of yourself again. Another reason. Yeah. Right. Right. It has to be bigger than you. Sure. And then what happened next? Well, he was really nice. I was still living in my car. He actually introduced me. There was a police officer that used to come and work all, out all the time. He told the police officer about me, which this was the worst, most racist police officer ever. And so I honestly thought that he was going to come and tow my car. He ended up helping me get a job. And so I got a job. I got into IT. Once I got into IT, I got married. I had two other sons. So this whole life started to emerge. You know, there was a purpose, even getting into IT. Once I got into IT, my whole purpose was how can I make things easier and faster and better for other people? So that was the purpose then, right? And that purpose, making things easier, faster, better for other people, has been the core purpose of everything that I've done in life. Even as a peak performance coach and a business performance coach, it's always, how can I make this easier for you? How can I make this faster so you can get to it quicker? How can I make it better? Right. So it's always been that same thing. That's always been my purpose. But my purpose is definitely outside of myself. That's big. I think especially from where... You've come from. Uh, it would have been really easy for you to continue feeling like a victim and to act like a victim. And there are many people. Oh yeah. And there are many people that do that. That just never get outside of that place where, yes, I've had some incredible trauma that's happened to me, a great loss, um, and I just don't see myself on the other side of that. And that victimhood actually becomes people's identity. That, that you almost can't separate the two. Are there a couple of cognitive times when you have decided you didn't want to be that a victim? So the thing about people being a victim is that being a victim is actually not the victimized, not being victimized, but actually taking the role of victim is actually a form of control. And that control is, you know, that control can be manipulation, that can control can be getting people to feel sorry for you. Even victims have power, right? And it's all about how they leverage it. I never actually felt like a victim. I never felt like a victim of anything other even when my daughter passed away, I didn't feel like a victim. I felt like I was responsible. When I was homeless, I didn't feel like a victim. I felt like I was responsible for putting myself there. So I've never felt like a victim as much as I felt responsible for the, for the circumstance that I was in. Whether there was truth in the responsibility or truth in the circumstance. My daughter passed away of SIDS. However, when she passed away, she was in a crib that was given to me. And so at the time in the U.S., they didn't have the thing where you can get a crib or you can get a, um, a carrier for your kid for free. 
right? You had to go buy one. Well, they're very expensive and I didn't have money. So I had a pass down one and, and it turned out that that pass down one also was, you know, so I blamed the fact that she passed away while she was sleeping on the fact that I couldn't afford an amazing crib for her. I took responsibility of that and feel like a victim of it. I felt like it was my fault. So I don't think that I've ever really felt like I was a victim. I've always been really big on taking responsibility for whatever my situation was. Uh, that's remarkable and very powerful. Um, so the question I've got around that is, do you think that that taking responsibility is part of that purpose right now that takes responsibility and wants to help other people or come up with things that fix things? Or do you think it's part of that? Absolutely. I think, I think, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I even said when I was raising my two sons, which was, you know, I have one job and that's to make you a positive contributing member of society so that you can do things that are bigger than yourself. Right. And so that's always been a driver of mine. How do I make the world better? Um, I literally live by a very simple, very simple tenets, live and let live, do no harm, leave things better always. Right. And so if I'm doing this and it doesn't leave people better, then I start questioning, what am I doing? You know, and so I, I'm always looking at those things. Sure. OK. And then so you've got into IT and you're solving people's problems and coming up with things that are going to make people's lives e mm -hmm. easier. And then there was a bit of a trajectory, right? Yes. Yeah, a good friend of mine, we were both consultants in the IT arena, and we decided we were working on his school project. And that school project was about the DNA of business. And in this whole coming up with the DNA in business, because his professor wouldn't accept the thesis, we decided we were going to go off and we were just going to prove him wrong by building a company. It was supposed to be a really, really small six-month consulting thing just to prove that it could be done. And it ended up 13 years later, we had a $250 million tech consultancy that we sold. Sure. So we took that student project, I think, way out of bounds. <laughs> Overachievers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like so. Like we're going to get that yeah, that's a. for sure. Jeez. <laughs> a double plus. Two things that I don't want to forget about. So I've written them down here, and I'm going to bring one of them in now. Mm -hmm. So you had some challenges or okay. you've got challenges as well in that you are uh, very dyslexic. Is that right? Yes, I am dyslexic. Yes. How has that been a struggle for you? How have you managed to, to deal with that? Because again, I know a lot of people who've got, whether it's a learning disability or dyslexia or something that just says, well, that's the excuse. That's the out. That's the reason I can't. But that isn't you at all. No, no. And so I look at it a little differently. So people call it a learning disability. Um, I actually look at it as something that I leverage, right? So one of the things that it has allowed me to do is to be very careful in regards to a methodology because I recognize how hard it is. Dyslexic people, I just call them Lexis, because why do they make a word so hard for <laughs> dyslexic people? I mean, think about that. Right. Like, why it's would good, you do that? So anyway, I just call it Lexi. Yeah. Right. Like, I just call it Lexi. And anytime it kicks up, I just go. So Lexi's in the house. Right. But I'll tell you a couple of things it's done for me, especially now where people look at me and they go, oh, wow, you're really successful or you're, you know, really intense or really whatever. And I'm actually just, you know, a 12 year old. I never grew up. I let people know about it. I joke about it all the time. 
I point out when I'm like, oh, look, I write over this. I mean, I write on a light board, which I'm in front of many, many times. And so, uh, you know, I'm writing and people are watching me mess up. And I'm like, look at that. That is horrible. And people just, you know, I laugh at it. And what I've learned is people love the vulnerability and the honesty about it. Because I'm like, yeah. But I also leverage it in regards to Lexi. People have a hard time with steps sometimes. Just step by step or things that aren't step by step. They prefer step by step. So I've gotten really good at creating methodologies to do things like the methodology for influence, the methodology for communications, the methodology for sales. So I create these methods and formulas because I recognize that if I can show these step by steps to people who are dyslexic, who have Lexia, who cannot even say it, then it's much easier for them to be able to succeed without even having to come out and go, oh, I have Lexi. Like, it shouldn't even be something that's a part of your day. You have the tools to manage it, you know, to manage your life amazingly well. Like, here's a good example. This little red case that I'm holding here, well, I have also a red phone case. And most people think, well, that's because red's your favorite color. It is not. Because I know I have Lexi, that I deal with Lexi, that one of the things that I do is I can see red things. I remember where I put them. And so having red cases, red keys, red uh, stuff like that, first things that are smaller than my palm. Yeah. Oh my God. If it's smaller than my palm, I have no idea where it is. Like seriously. But so things that are smaller than my palm, I tend to put them in red so I can find them. Right. That most people don't even know that they're just like, whatever. So I lose my car ridiculously in the parking lot. Like people will say, I'll come out and they'll go, where'd you park? I'm like outside. <laughs> Right. So it's, <laughs> that is like usually my whole answer. I don't know. Outside. Well, my car has a red interior. And so if I walk out and I look at the red interior, I'll go, OK, the red interior will spark. I have to remember where I parked. If I don't pay attention, if I'm on the yeah. phone and I just walk in, I have no idea where that Good car luck. is. But if I stop and I look at my interior, I'll go, oh, it's red. It'll make it. It'll trigger a reminder. Sure. That's all for Lexi. That's clever. So problem solving again. Um, wow. Well done. That's what it yeah. gave me. It gave me amazing problem solving skills. So I don't see it as something that took away. I see it as something that it gave me something. So you turned a, what a lot of people would see as a disadvantage into an advantage, actually. A crazy advantage. I use it all the time. <laughs> So the other question I want to ask you is similar, right? Is, is something else that a lot of people could see as uh, something that impedes you and is an obstacle in the way. You mentioned a, a police officer who is extremely racist, right? You come from an extremely interesting four different <laughs> parents, right? Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, well oh, grandparents. I only have two parents. I like, I, yeah, <laughs> I only have two parents. Yeah. <laughs> Like, no, I didn't get four. Um, <laughs> like some people have four. I only, I got two. You got two. Um, so yeah, I got two. So my dad is Italian and black Jamaican. So he's Sicilian and black Jamaican. And then my mom, I, and I wish I had a picture of her. She is Cherokee and black. And so those are all kind of like just rolling up in here and doing things to people. <laughs> so most of the time people can't, of all they can't categorize me which bothers them people get very upset when they can't categorize something or someone or right they can't categorize me 
And then I'm this amalgamation of being extra hood and ghetto and kind of thuggish, but then being like really, really well polished. And, you know, suppose I'm supposed to be like this person from this lower income that doesn't have anything. But then I'm over here and I have, you know, I've been extremely successful and my bank account has seven or eight figures in it. So that type of thing, it's it's it confuses people because I'm supposed to be in a particular spot and I don't necessarily fit into their categories. And so besides sexism is so real, racism is so real, and having the ability to say, oh, but you know what, I don't have to live in your limited categories and do it anyway, is very freeing. And also I'm very bullheaded, so anytime somebody says something or thinks something about me, I want to go and prove them wrong. That idea of I'm just going to be who I am and deal with it, I'm not going to fit into your box, where did that come from? So when I was little, my mom and I lived in two places. First, we lived in, I told you, the ghetto. We lived in the hood. Well, that was predominantly African-American. Well, I am extremely fair-skinned. So most people wouldn't look at me and go, oh, clearly she's black. Like, they would never guess. I have hazel eyes. I have curly hair. I have fair skin. Right? I don't fit your typical. And so the amount of racism prejudice that I dealt with there, that I was always on the outside, was very difficult. Then on top of it, we lived in between my grandmother's house and my mom's house, which was called Hialeah. Well, it was Hialeah was very big on the Cuban. It had an influx of Cubans during the Mario boat lift from Cuba. Well, they didn't like me because although I may have features that look similar to theirs, they didn't like me because I didn't speak Spanish and because they're separatists and my mom is black. So I didn't fit in there. And so it really became one of those things of I tried so hard to fit in and it didn't work that I just had to get to a point of like, screw it. I'm never going to fit in. Yeah. To me, to me, part of this journey, past the purpose journey that I've enjoyed the most is looking at people's stories and their lives and seeing how many people are so incredibly good at taking the things that were challenges and obstacles, traumas in their lives. And that becomes so much a part of the fabric of their journey to becoming something else because they've used that almost as a, as a step board as a, or as a platform. Um, and you're another incredible example of that. So hats off to you, big respect. <laughs> Thank you. I think the, I think recognizing, I think embracing what makes you completely different, recognizing it, holding on to it and being vulnerable and truthful about it. That's the part. It's not even, it's not even the holding on to it. It's the vulnerability. It's being able to stand up and go, yes, I was pseudocidally depressed. Yes. I felt like, you know, killing myself tons of times. Yes. I've lost things, you know, and being able to say that honestly, and then especially to people who may look at you at a certain way and then they'll go, Oh my God. So it's okay for me to feel this way. Yes. It's okay for you to feel that way. It's totally okay. We need to write, we need to spend our lives writing permission slips for other people so that they know it's okay. Exactly. Well, we first got to start that very first, very important permission slip, which is for ourselves, right? And that is it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we can take that straight back to the YMCA where somebody says, yeah, here's the permission slip to have some hope and to have a purpose and come back tomorrow and come up with clean. Exactly. It's exactly that, permission. Uh, I love that. 
So this is a perfect opportunity to bring us into the next thing, right? So um, you sold a company, you made a whole lot of money, and you found your way onto a stage as a keynote yes. speaker, right? You, you're going to give a speech. Now, just the word speech, and, and, and Donna, I, I, uh, but anyway, so you dyed yeah. the hair blonde, and you pitched yeah. up wanting to be this thing that you right. were expected to be. So again, I need to fit into this place. I'm being told I need to fit in. I need to look a certain way. Um, how did that go down? So you have to understand that before I got on stage, I was for 13 years with long, blonde, straight hair in business, right? Because that was almost expected, right? Here's the real way of saying it. I had to downplay who I was to make everyone else feel comfortable because... There's a few things going on. Number one, I'm the only female in the room most of the time, right? Number two, and I don't, I am not saying this in a braggart way. I'm just saying this scientifically. I have a higher IQ than most people would even recognize. It's really in the top percentages there, like single digits. So I'm literally the smartest person in the room most times, right? No, 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 okay, just hold on to a second. I just want to qualify that when you say your IQ <laughs> no, 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 is single no, no, no. digits, percentage, single percentage, percentages, percentages, percentages. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. No, that, the that other way would be bad. No, 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 no. Single digit percentages. Yeah. Do you know they say that if you if you're the smartest you're person in the, wrong in the room, room, you're in the wrong room. So this is when I know. <laughs> yeah, you're, I'm you're in the right yeah, room. Yeah, you're good. We're, we're good. We're good. <laughs> See, I'm good. So no, I'm and good. then. And then, of course, I'm five uh, foot nine. Boy. I wear six inch heels. And so I'm taller than most of the people in the room. And there is a bit of intimidation factor, let's just call it, right? People are intimidated. So I had to bring all of that down, right? I had to be very, very different and very much fit in. So what did I say? Okay, blonde, straight hair, subdue how I look, subdue what I wore. I wore a beige and gray most of the time most of the time. So it was really, I was subduing, I was constantly subduing myself to fit into whatever box it was that they had. I had to do these things to fit into that box. You know, when I got on stage, it was, you know, what did everybody look like? Well, there's in, in the United States, the women who were doing extremely well had blonde hair, generally up in some kind of puff, some magical puff that they do. I didn't even know how they do it. They were very subdued. They almost spoke with this high-pitched southern accent quite often um and they were always really frilly and happy <laughs> it's like i am none of that <laughs> like i'm happy <laughs> but i'm happy because i'm watching i am reading the dirtiest joke meme ever right so <laughs> i'm happy for a very different reason <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not fitting in and i i did that for a bit and i hated it I actually hated me. That's not fair. I hated the person that I saw in the mirror because she was not me. Uh, that's a yeah, good Yeah, I did not like her. I, I did not like... It's not that I don't like long, blonde, straight hair. I have dark, curly hair that's very mm. thick. I hated the you. process of spending 850 hours oh, <laughs> turning that to that. It's not easy. <laughs> I hated the process of transforming into another person. 
No, I, I totally, totally, totally get that. Imagine how much money I've saved. So I have this thick, wavy, curly hair, right, that I hated. I was teased when I was at school. I went to the army. We had to do national service back in those days in South Africa and the old uh, government, apartheid government, which is horrendous. Uh, although I think that should bring it back. I think young, <laughs> young, young people could do with some of that now. Anyway, my hair was cut short and I left uh, and the army, and now it was, I can do anything I want to with my life. And do you know what? I love the short hair. So imagine how much money and time I have saved just by shaving it off. Look at that. But anyway. I, yeah, imagine how much money and time I wasted. Exactly. But I, so I digress <laughs> though. So, so here's, here's a very interesting thing. So you became what you needed to be in order to get where you wanted to be and to get the best out of the people that you needed something from, right? Kind of. You're close. I became what I thought I needed to be to make people comfortable enough to accept me. Still, it got you the result that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and smart people do that. Smart people are really, really good at being able to get the best out of other people because they give them what they think they want them to be. It gave yeah. me most of what I wanted because while uh, I had financial success, mm-hmm. I really was not happy with who I am. That's what I was hoping for. Right. So there we go. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I think sometimes we, yeah. th- this idea of purpose is, is a part of an achievement and a financial goal and making money and, and living that life. And we can become whoever we need to. And then we get to the point where we look in the mirror and say, but hold on two seconds. I feel like I've lost a whole chunk of who I am in this process. And then it's having to kind of figure out who that is and what you really want. Right. Right. And it's not even the losing. You've literally buried it. You have, you've looked in the mirror, you've seen what's there, and you've deemed it unacceptable and not good enough. And definitely not something that can play in this arena. That which is in the mirror that is authentically you, you have deemed inadequate to play in bigger arenas. Because of your prejudgment of what other people are going to think about you, usually because one or two people said something about you and now you've taken their narrative and you've made that your truth. At this moment in time, I'm just going to say to every single person watching and listening to this, you might just want to rewind a couple of minutes and listen to that again. Not really. It is, it is that important and big. And I don't think there are many of us who don't fall into that trap in one way or another. And when you get out the other side and you look back and you realize what you escaped or realize how you managed to reinvent and find yourself again, it's the most powerful and exhilarating moment. So there you are on a stage with long blonde hair <laughs> and dressed like you should never be dressed. I'm hating it. <laughs> like I should next? never be dressed. <laughs> Ever. Yeah, Ever. I should never. I should never. I, I literally had it when I decided to change all of this. It was in a moment. I was on stage. I was delivering a speech. I cannot deliver anything memorized. I tell people all the time, there is a very specific reason I don't lie. My memory sucks. So I will manipulate you with the truth, but I can't do it with a lie. It will be horrible. So I don't even bother. So I can't memorize. I can't memorize anything. I uh, don't like giving speeches. I'm, I'm a horrible actress. I'm a horrible actress. I, so, and so it all felt like bad acting on the stage. And I so I'm there and I got on this outfit and it's horrible. 
And I just take off the jacket. I said, listen, I said, this is going to seem like such a movie cliche, but I can't do this. I mean, and right now I am freaking the hell out of the event planner. I can't do this. I said, I can't sit here and give this speech. I can't do these PowerPoint slides. I threw the clicker. I said, I just want to have a conversation with you guys. Can we just do that? And people were like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. And I took off the jacket that I was wearing, had on a shirt. I said, these heels are freaking killing me. You know, (laughs) these loafers are killing me. I hate loafers. I was wearing loafers. I was wearing loafers, like with the little penny loafers. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. They weren't even like sexy, like three inch heels loafers. They were like men's brown loafers. Yeah. I took off, I l- took off the loafers and um, my husband at the time was in the, in the back of the room and he literally brought these heels for me that he said, you always wear these heels. And he goes, and they always make you feel a million bucks. I'm going to take them down just in case, which I thought he was crazy. And I looked at it, I said, and I'm going to say something, women, please don't ever repeat these words. Put your phones down. Do not record this. Are we ready? Honey, you were right. <laughs> Bring me the shoes. <laughs> I've never heard those words. <laughs> yeah, and you will never. <laughs> so... <laughs> She would get kicked out um, of the club. No, I said, bring the shoes. And I took took these heels. I'm going to share them with you. I took these heels, (laughs) six-inch spider-encrusted Swarovski red bottoms. They're six inches. And I put them on. And I was like, let's do this. (laughs) The audience lost their mind. The audience lost their mind. And it it was amazing. And the event planner sang to me. And after that, I'm not kidding you. I put my hair back its natural color. I cut it really short, which my husband wasn't for at all, but he got over it. I cut it really short. And I started being Donna. And I went on, and I'm going to use a clean word. I went on the, what I call, effort tour. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. This is my coming yeah. out. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be authentically. I'm going to be me. Magnificently me. Absolutely. Uh, Well done. And that's where everything changed. Here's the thing. I got more engagements. I got more bookings. I got more. I was more connected with my audience. My ratings went extremely high and it propelled my career. And people really like, oh, my God, I like you. Like you're you're. And this is the thing I heard all the time. Like you're real. Like Yes, I'm not a wooden boy. (laughs) You're real. And I'm I'm going to be completely honest. In all my time of being privileged enough to watch literally hundreds of speakers, it may be a handful, two handfuls that I can look at and say, you're real and authentic. And I believe the words coming out of your mouth and it's not scripted and this isn't a performance. It's just, there really aren't many. It doesn't sound like a, um, right. a speech that one gives to win a competition at Toastmasters, for instance. And there's a place for that. And there are people that are extremely talented at that, but that's not what people are coming to hear when they're looking for someone like you. They're looking for someone to really connect with them in regards to what is going on in their very real life, challenges that are very real to them, and they need a very real person to have a very real conversation about them. And you steal, and I'm literally using the word steal, you steal an hour of 100 people, 1,000 people, 2,000 people's time when you stand on stage and you deliver to them fraudulent. 
That's an incredible way to say it, yeah, absolutely. So what I normally do is try and turn it around the other way to remind myself and to say thank you for the gift of your time. And I know how big that gift is oh, and yeah. all the pressures on me to deliver something in return for your gift. And and hopefully we can increase you know, that, that transaction. You, you walk away with more. Um, but it is exactly that. Okay, so unfortunately, I'm, I'm looking at time and thinking, oh my goodness, there's still so much, but um, we, we need to get this thing to a close. I'm absolutely positive that you're going to come back as a guest some other time, for sure, because we've got lots to chat about. But there are two things I do want to finish with. And number one is um, that advice that you wanted to give. Remember right at the beginning, we said we come back to that, that you, what you tell other people in terms of finding their purpose. What is that? Okay, so... Remember I said we are when we're at rock bottom, one of the things that we're doing is we're always trying to get back. We're trying to get back those yes. things that we lost. Okay. I want you to think about all those things that you're trying to get back and go to the moment before that. Whatever that was, there was something that happened to you. There was something that happened to you that really just impacted your life because people are always looking for their purpose. And sometimes they have a hard time finding it because they're looking the wrong direction. They're looking forward because that's yeah. where vision is, right? We're looking forward into the future, but the seed for the vision, for the future, for your purpose is actually steeped into something that happened in your past. I want you to think about whatever it is. So I had a, and I'll give you a perfect example. I had a young man that said his dad never paid him the kind of attention he wanted, like he was there and he would disappear. And the son said he always felt like he wasn't good enough and that he wasn't getting heard. And now today what he does is he literally works with people when they have to get on stage to deliver amazing talks and speeches in an authentic way so that they can be seen and heard for who they truly so. are. He is so driven by this passion, he never gets bored with it, ever. And anytime I talk to people, I said, I would just want you to look back and see the thing that made you feel like you weren't enough because you're trying to save that person in the future. That is your real purpose. You can find it. It's in the book that was already written about you. Just go look at the pages. It'll tell you exactly what it is. Uh, that's just mind blown. I, I really, really love that. It's that <laughs> Matthew McConaughey saying that your hero is your 10-year future self. It's who does that person need to be to come and... Save that person. Yeah. Save yeah. you. Yes. Thank you. That's that's extremely powerful. Thank you. And then lastly, when we talk about a legacy, when we talk about what you want to leave behind you, and one day you're no longer here and somebody stands up and talks about a celebration of your life and the legacy that you left. What what is that? It's freedom. Freedom. There are so many times that people have done all the things. They made their hair blonde. They put on the right suit. They made sure their heels weren't too high so they wouldn't be taller than the other men. They slouched a little bit so they would be a little lower. They didn't speak up as much. They didn't lean in. Instead, they lead, leaned back. They took the notes. They did all of the things that they were supposed to do to fit in someone's box of who they are. And still, on a Friday afternoon, they were asked to come to HR and they got fired right? That still happened. There are people who did all the things to be the perfect spouse and still they're divorced, right? They did all of those things. There are people who they went to school, they went to college, they went to university, they've put out their resume a thousand times and still they can't get 
their foot in the door. They can't find what they're supposed to do. And so what they are is they are enslaved to colonization. They're enslaved to the box that they have to fit in. They're enslaved to taking the dead-end job. They're enslaved to the marriage that they want to be in. They're enslaved to crappy relationships. They are in this constant servitude of all these things when all they really want is freedom. And so the one thing that I do as a peak performance expert, and the reason this is my life's calling is I want to help people have financial freedom from corporate colonization. Because if I can help you with your financial freedom, then I can help you with the other freedoms. Because for me, when people work with me, it's the whole thing. I got to get your mind right in order to get your money right. I got to get your mind right in order for you to perform at your top. If we can get that, then everything else will be there. Thank you. That's absolutely amazing. Donna, thank you so, so much for your time, for your expertise, your wisdom, your real humanity, rawness, authenticity. It's been an absolute pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate Great. it. I had a blast. We'll see you again for sure. Cheers. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships, and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer, because I wanted it that badly, and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic, thank you. You all rock.